0: You're listening to the Living Word Church Podcast. To learn more about Living Word Church and our service times, visit us online at livingwordli.org. Today's message comes from our lead pastor, Doug Jansen. So I'm a little bit weird when it comes to shoes, all right? So some of you guys have a different kind of shoe problem than I have. You have like way too many shoes and our prayer team, it will be up here after service if you need some help. But I need some prayer myself cuz I have only 4 pairs of shoes. That's all I own. So here's what I got. I got these are my everyday shoes. I bought these when I got out of the hospital. They were um, really important cuz my feet were in a lot of pain coming out of the hospital and these are still just the most comfortable shoes that I own. have ever worn. They have holes in them. They're not great, but if you run into me at Home Depot or Chick-fil-A, this is what I'm wearing. Then I have my work shoes. This is out in the yard. Uh, There's probably poison ivy juice all over these, and you're likely smelling them from the fourth row. Then I've got these shoes, these are my only pair of dress shoes. This is for funerals and weddings. This is where you'll find me in there. These, what I'm wearing, are my Sunday church shoes. And um, this is only allowed to be worn Sundays because if I wore them more than that, they turn into these. And I do wear these sometimes on dates with the wife. Now, there's a fifth pair of shoes I had to show you um, because these are just wonderful. Now, I don't own these shoes. These are my son Landon shoes. He came home so excited about these recently. I don't know what to do with that. He's so proud of them. I don't know what they are for. I don't know what they're going to accomplish in life, but he's just so excited about them. And the reason I bring up the shoes is because as I've been saying through this series in Acts, that every Sunday we're just kind of tossing some shoes out into the crowd. And the ones that fit you, we ask you to put them on. The ones that apply to you, go ahead and wear them, right? Like a lot of you guys wouldn't fit in my shoes. Most of us wouldn't want to fit in Landon's shoes. Um, And often I wouldn't be able to fit in yours. But some of us have the same shoe size. And so we can kind of go out saying, hey, that that fits me. I'm going to wear it. That. But others would say, Well, I'm, I need something else. And so, as we're going through the series of acts and we're looking at these different questions as we work through each part of the series here, we're discovering some answers that I just pray fit. And I pray that we can walk out of here going, man, that, that, that fed me today. I, I know what to do with that. I can put that on and wear that this week. And so we're going to continue to ask some questions here in the series as we learn some beautiful things in this book of Acts. And so, question number one for today, probably one of the most important questions you will ever answer, is this Do you know Jesus or do you just know his name? That's a huge difference. Knowing Jesus or knowing his name are two very different things. Number two question for today is what are some keys to break the power of sin struggles in our lives. So like we've all got things that we do that we shouldn't do and there are some very practical things that we can do that kind of help break the power of some of that. And I'm gonna mention a couple things today. It's not the only things you can do. Uh, We're gonna look a little bit more as we continue the series and seek some other kind of strategies and plans and things that kind of just help us practically. But today we're gonna look at a few. Question three, what should my personal mission statement be? What's a mission statement? A mission statement is just like a, a simple statement of beliefs or values that organizations have. Let me read you a few, okay? IKEA says this, to offer a wide range of well-designed, functional home furnishing products at prices so low that as many people as possible will be able to afford them. And I would add to their mission statement, make everything really hard to put together. i just throw that in there. All right. Tesla, this is a great statement because it's so simple and memorable. Accelerating the world's transition to sustainable energy. Okay. Disney, to entertain, inform, and inspire people around the globe through the power of unparalleled storytelling. That's Everything they do is funneled through that mission. Living Word Church, to help people center their lives around Jesus. And so uh, I don't know if you've had a a personal mission statement. I can't say that I wake up every day and say, what is my mission statement for the day? But I can tell you that what we're going to talk about today should be corporately and personally all of our mission statement. Okay, so we're going to jump into that a little, little bit. And then question number four, what is the responsibility of the leader? So we think about our church. We think about the pastors and the elders. And what's their role here? And along with that, what does it look like to be a part of the family here, and, and the team, and what's kind of our responsibility to one another? And so we're going to jump into to all that here today, and I'm excited because if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can leave here knowing Jesus, not just his name. And so we're going to uh, just explore some verses that encourage us with that. So everybody say Acts. Everybody say part 14. Yes, we are going for it. This is part 14 of our book here, study, our book study of Acts, and Luke wrote the book of Acts, and we're going to just summarize a little bit here today, because as you know, we don't want this series to feel like it's going on for all of eternity, all right? We don't necessarily want to be caught by Jesus coming back when we finish this series, okay? But we do want to kind of take an appropriate pace where you feel like you're getting uh, some, some beautiful shoes to put on and really learning and knowing what the story here is. And so we're kind of in this balancing act of summarizing some things that we've already kind of seen some theme, themes of earlier, and we're going to see that here today. Uh, Acts 19 is where we are. We're going to look at 19 and 20 today. And the first seven verses, I'm just going to summarize for you because we've already kind of seen this in some other themes. Paul met some people. He led them to Jesus. He baptized them. He prayed that the Holy Spirit would come into their life. And now we're going to kind of pick up in verse 8 for a moment. It says, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. And so he spends these three months just going into the synagogue saying, Jesus is alive, trying to get people to know and believe and live on the truth that Jesus is their Savior. And then we summarize a little bit here. Uh, uh, Some of the people refused to believe, and so Paul moved on to a place called the Lecture Hall of Tyrannus, okay? Everybody says so what? I love that we get the name Lecture Hall of Tyrannus. We've been saying through this whole series that it's a beautiful thing that Luke, as he's writing this book, took the time to give us names of places and dates and times and rulers. That's really important because Luke was writing with history in mind, and he knew that this was going to be really important. And he had a really important message, and the message was Jesus rose back from the dead. So he knows if he's getting the names of dates and times and rulers and lecture halls right historically, we're going to take them that much more seriously about the bigger message of Jesus being raised back from the dead. So there he is giving us another kind of place to link to in history. This went on for two years, Paul's there, and he's doing this great work. And then it says in verse 11 God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. So God's working so powerfully through Paul. And one of the things I love about the Bible and I love about Christianity is that it's not like Jesus came as the one and only miracle worker. Now, nobody's going to top him, all right? I mean, rising back from the dead, I mean, he, I mean, incredible, right? But Paul, we're seeing miracles through Paul, Peter, like, and then even to today, we're still seeing God show up and do mighty and powerful miracles. And I love that about Christianity. It wasn't just like you know, Jesus, this main figure who saw big, huge things, but we all get to see him. What an awesome thing to know God. Let's keep going. Verse 13. Some Jews went around driving out evil spirits, tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of, of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. So are you picturing it? Some people who don't really know Jesus but have heard of him and know he has power try to use his name to help some people who are demon-possessed find freedom. And so they say, in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches, you know, leave this person alone. And, And here's where we have to get to question number one. Do you know Jesus or do you just know his name? Because these people in this story, they just knew his name. They didn't have a relationship with Jesus. They didn't really, truly know him. They knew the name Jesus and they knew it had power, but they didn't actually know Jesus themselves. You know, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're here today or watching on the stream, man, this amazing God came for you and me, came to die and give of his life and to rise back from the dead. And if you're going, I don't know if I can believe all that rise back from the dead stuff, then we need to talk because there's so much evidence. There's so many resources we can look to that show us, yes, this is true and real. But he wants you to have a relationship with him. He wants you to know him. Everybody say, know Jesus. He wants you to know him. We should leave here today knowing Jesus. Uh, my pastor growing up would tell this story from time to time. One day he was at a pastor's conference sitting there with his wife and they were listening to all these preachers on the stage and they announced that a certain guy was going to be preaching later on in the day. And so he leaned over to his wife and he was like, oh I know him. And he was excited about this preacher being there. Well, the time came for that preacher to stand up and preach. And so they announced him. And it was the guy sitting right next to my pastor in the seat, right next to him, through this whole day and this whole service. And he, says, he had said to his wife earlier, oh, I know him. In reality, he didn't know him. He was sitting right next to him and didn't even know it was him. He knew his name. It's one thing to know somebody's name. It's another thing to really know them. And here at Living Word Church, we're not looking to just know the name of Jesus or even know the power of Jesus. We want to know him. And so if that fits today, put that shoe on. You can leave here knowing him. If you came in today and you kind of get caught up in religion lately, not really knowing Jesus, man, let's make it the pursuit of our life to know Jesus. It keeps going here in verse 14. Seven sons of Sceva. thats a mouthful. It sounds like one of those tongue twisters. There, right? Uh, there's this Jewish priest named Sceva, and he had seven sons. So the seven sons of—I can say it. See? the seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this one day. Okay, we're going to pause here for a moment. Wow, one day the evil spirit answered them. So they're going around in Jesus' name. Who Paul preaches? Leave that person alone. Get out of them. Right? One day the evil spirit answers them. Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know about but who are you? Everybody say, oh, dang, right? That's an oh, dang moment right now. I've seen the end of this movie before, right? Like, you seen this one? We know how this is going to end, all right? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Everybody say, oh, dang, again, Yes, verse 17, when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. The name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. People are going, there's something really powerful about this Jesus. Because when people who know him stand in his power, people find freedom. But when people just use his name, it doesn't go so well, right? That's why it's so important that we know Jesus and we don't just use his name. He wants a personal relationship with you. Again, I'm looking at many people who already know this and some who are just hearing this. But I would ask again the question, do you know him personally or even for many of us who've known Jesus for a long time have we gotten caught up in works and religion lately but do we know him can we rest in him today as our great savior who loves us and wants a relationship with us and along with that we should find great encouragement that the god you and i get to call friend has authority and power over the demonic like that like it's not even a question and so if you're in here today afraid of, you know, what the enemy can do or who he is, like know the power of Jesus is so much greater. So do you know Jesus or do you just know his name? It's so important to know. And let's get the question two here. Verse 18 will lead us there. Many of those who believe, so these people who now believed in Jesus because they saw this tremendous display of power and what Jesus' name could do and those who know Jesus, what they could do. It says many of those who believe now came and openly confessed what they had done, leads us right to question two. What are some keys to help break the power of sin struggles in my life? Now we're going to see two things happening here, okay? So I know some of you guys are note takers, and and you can write this down. Number one thing that they did that break the power of sin here was they confessed, okay? And I don't mean, and please don't be offended if you come from this religious background, I don't mean that they went to talk to a priest and they had a confession. No, they confessed to the Lord and to each other. Really, they came out mainly to one another here. And what we see here in the scriptures is that you and I, when we want to see sin's power broken in our lives and we have a struggle going on, we need to be confessing to the Lord. You can go right to him, because again, you know him. You have a relationship with him. You can confess to him, but also we confess to one another, okay? That doesn't mean after service today, it's like, okay, Brian, would you please stand up and let the church know what, you know, right? But we confess to one another, why? Well, the scripture says, we confess to God for forgiveness and to one another for healing, right? And so when you and I have been doing something and we shouldn't be doing it and we bring it out into the light, there is power in bringing it out into the light. And many in those days believed that the power that these different sorcerers of the day had was in its secrecy. They believed like the incantations and the chants and different things they would say and do. The reason they had power was because they were kept secret. The truth is, when it comes to our sin struggles, the power is in the, the secrecy. When we began to bring it out into the light, when we began to get real with one another and talk with one another and share with one another the things that we're doing and we talk to the Lord and we're honest with him, man, we began to see the power of those things broken. So years ago, when I was maybe like 23, 24 years old, I used to get together with this group of pastors every single Thursday, and we would talk, and we would pray, and we would share our life, and just grab some food, and it was a wonderful thing. And one day, as we kind of got to know each other really well, I just looked these three guys in the eyes, and I said, guys, there's something that I just need to confess to you guys, something that um, I'm struggling with, and I just need to bring it out into the light. And I had only told my wife about it, and I brought it out into the light, and in that moment, that thing was broken off my life. I have not struggled with that thing since that moment 20-something years ago. Now, I know it doesn't always go that way, okay? I know sometimes we have to continue to bring things to the light, don't we? Sometimes daily, to the Lord, to a person. There are things in my life I have to talk with people that I trust and say, hey, here's something, I just, just keep me accountable. Pray for me on this and, and just you know, you know, check up on me once in a while because I want to make sure I'm honoring God in this way in my life and I'm struggling with it. Sometimes that's how it goes. But no matter what, whether it's like that thing that happened to me 20 years ago where I brought it up and boom, just done, or it's a daily, weekly, monthly thing we have to bring to the Lord or to each other, bring it out into the open, bringing it out into the light is gonna break the power of that thing. The second thing we're gonna see, again, for all you note-takers, is yes, number one, they confessed, but number two, they repented, all right? We see this here. It says in verse 19, a number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. So a part of the people had been doing these spells. They had their scrolls with their different chants and spells and incantations written on them. And when they saw the power of Jesus and they saw him as their risen savior, they said, it is time to burn these scrolls. Let's get rid of them. Everybody say, burn the scrolls. You see, I just wonder, is there anything in any of our lives we kind of got to burn the scrolls. You know what I mean? Like any things in our lives that we've, we've kept, right? We've, we've clung to and they've been powerful in our lives and we've kind of got to burn the scrolls. Is there anything we need to repent, change our mind about, turn from, and deal with in our lives? But you might say, but Doug, um, that's going to be really costly, like for me to give up some stuff and kind of burn the scrolls in my life when it comes to some of the struggles that I've been keeping secret or even things I've brought out into the light, but I kind of just have some stuff I could easily get back into. Is there anything we need to, to burn today? But, but man, is there a cost to it? Well, look at what it says next. It says, when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. Present day, that's millions and millions of dollars. And they just burned them. Listen, listen costly but worth it. Ask anybody who ended a dating relationship that was toxic to their relationship with God, it was costly but worth it. Ask anybody who dumped drugs down the toilet or poured alcohol down their sink and then got the help they needed and surrendered their life to Jesus, costly but worth it. Ask anybody who stopped worrying about image and what people thought of them and began to share their faith, costly but worth it, and I love that they didn't just gather the scrolls. It wasn't like they just gathered the scrolls in a pile and said, okay, we got the scrolls, right? I love that they didn't store them away. They didn't go down to public storage, right? Open up one of those big garage doors and put them in there in case they changed their mind later and wanted to go back to it, you know? I love that they didn't even sell it and, and, and want to profit from the money. They burned the scrolls. It's like that old story of burn the ships, right? Like, we're not going back. Is there anything in our lives that we need to sort of burn the scrolls? I have a friend who comes to this church and, um, He told me years ago, you know, growing up in the time that he did, he got into certain styles of music. And there's nothing wrong with certain styles of music, but sometimes certain bands or artists have some really intense stuff on their albums or really inappropriate stuff. And he said as he was getting closer and closer to God, he just began to feel like convicted about some of it. Not all of it, but but there was some stuff on there that kind of like similarly to the story, there was even some like demonic stuff. And and he just began to feel like, you know what, if I'm going to follow Jesus kind of need to burn these scrolls. I need to get rid of these. And so he took, went through his collection. This is back in the day when you have physical CDs. He went through his collection and he just burned the scrolls. He just got rid of everything that he knew was going to be toxic to his relationship with Jesus. Man, so let me get in your face for a minute. I'm getting in my face for a minute here too, okay? Are there any songs on our devices maybe we should delete? Are there any movies or shows on our watch list that we need to remove? Because they're going to just take us to dark places. And often we're watching these things, listening to these things kind of in secret, aren't we? Are there any items in our home we need to just pour down the sink, wash down the toilet, and get the help that we need and surrender those issues to Jesus? Are, Are there any relationships in our lives that need to go? Are there any habits like gossip or jealousy or prejudice that need attention? Are there any numbers in our phone that need to be deleted, apps that need to be removed? Like, what does it look like in our lives to burn the scrolls? It's not easy. It's costly. But man, it's worth it. Ask anybody who gave something up for Jesus, right? Was it worth it? Oh, it was hard, but it was so worth it. Recently, I was just praying. I was praying for church. Kelly and I were taking a little walk around the neighborhood, and we were praying and, and uh, we were praying for church, and, and I just said, God, I just pray. And, and I don't remember if I was thinking of here or the new property or just everything, but I said, Lord, just let our church be like holy ground, you know? Like, like let it be like holy ground. And that's not something we do in our own works, right? It's something that, that you make and you produce. And then I prayed this prayer. I said, God, let our home be holy ground. And as I said those words, the gravity of it hit me. Because I started to ask myself, is there anything that our family does or would do that we wouldn't do if we knew we were on holy ground? And we try to be careful, you know, be be careful. And it's harder and harder in this culture, isn't it? Just to kind of guard your heart, guard your eyes, guard your mind. But that just, like, I walk with that now, you know, through my day. Like, Would I do this? Would I say that? Would I watch this? Would I listen to that? Would I want my family watching that, listening to this, doing that? What would we do if we really believe that where we go, we go with the presence of God and we would stand on holy ground? Again, not because we're holy because of ourselves, but because God's holy and he's made us holy and he's a wonderful God who wants to lead us to life. And so I just wonder, is there anything in our lives that we need to think about and pray about? And so I encourage you guys, confession, To the Lord and to somebody in your life who loves you and loves the Lord, and repentance, turning from, maybe even burning some costly scrolls. Let's keep going. Question number three is, what should my personal mission statement be? Remember, we got some shoes. I'm just throwing them out into the crowd. So if they fit, put them on. Um, we're going to do a little bit of backstory here to get to question number three. Uh, let me summarize a couple of verses. It's in, in Acts 19, 20 to 23, God's message is spreading. Paul talks about some of the places he's going to go, and then trouble hits. And in verse 24, it says, a silversmith named Demetrius, everybody say Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together along with the workers in related trades and said, you know, my friends, that we received a good income from this business. He's going, look, we make these idols to this goddess called Artemis, and we make some good money doing it, he's saying. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says, that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. Imagine that. So let's just throw out a shoe that isn't even related to one of our questions here. But isn't it incredible that somebody would think that a god made by human hands could even be a god, right? Like, are, again, I'll just bring it back. Are there any gods, you know, little g gods that we worship? They're just made by human hands, Right? And I love that there's this distinction between our God who is living and, you know, something that we often make God that's not, right? Man, let's worship the true God. Verse 27, he says, there's danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited, and the goddess herself, who was worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So Artemis was a goddess that the Ephesians worshipped, and she was believed by them to be aiding women in child childbirth. And there is a a Greek writer in the first century, a geographer, who said that the cult following of Artemis in this time was the greatest in the ancient world. The temple of Artemis was actually one of the seven uh, beautiful wonders of the ancient world. Silversmiths like Demetrius made these little shrines and they made all this cash off it. And so he's going, look, Paul's trying to talk about this other god. And Artemis is the god we worship, the goddess we worship, and makes us a lot of money, by the way. And so the whole city goes into an uproar. Two of Paul's friends get taken into the theater. Paul wants to go in, but the followers stop him. The city clerk eventually says, guys, a riot's not going to cause anything. If we need to, you know bring some charges against these people, let's do it. And they dismiss the crowd. And it says this in Acts 20. When the uproar had ended, Paul said for the disciples and encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He then travels a bunch of places that we get to hear about. And then in Troas, it says, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he tended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. And some of you thought my messages in this series were long, right? How many of you guys would stay if the if sermon went till midnight tonight? Yeah. Lies. Lies. No. <laughs> hey, let's do it. Dan and Dawn are staying until midnight. All right, good. Verse 8, there were many lamps in the upstairs room, where we were meeting. Seated in in a window was a young man, Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. I love how candid the Bible is about this. Like, you know it's bad when even the Bible's like, bro was preaching too long, right? And it says this, when he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. So that's why we don't offer a window seating section here at Living Word. So... Paul went down, threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man alive and were greatly comforted. God does this incredible miracle through Paul. Over the next verses, we see him sailing to several places. He goes to Miletus and then calls the elders from Ephesus. And it says, when they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived The whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. Maybe somebody just needs to put on the shoe of perseverance today. Paul's going, I have persevered through horrific things right? That's a theme in the book of Acts. Then we go to verse 20. You know that I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God on repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Boldness, another huge theme we find in Acts. But we're getting there, guys. I know there's a little bit of setup and backstory to get to our third question. And now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Boldness. He's going, I'm just going to keep going. And it really leads us into our third question here. What should my personal mission statement be? Like, what is the bullseye of my life? What, am I, what should I be living for? Verse 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. He doesn't say this in a fatalistic way, everybody. He's not saying, what is, you know, what is the meaning of life? Life is meaningless. He's saying, in comparison to what I I know in Jesus and I know what awaits me in heaven. And in comparison to what I know God wants to do in my life, I'm not going to think too much of my life. I'm not gonna, you know, hold on to it so tightly that God can't use me. I I got my eyes somewhere, you know? He says, my only aim, so here we go, right? What is the personal mission statement of my life? Well, I'll tell you what Paul's was. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. And here's the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace okay what does that mean that sounds really churchy right question three what should my personal mission statement be share the good news of God's grace awesome Doug thanks for the churchy answer I don't know what to do with that I don't know how to put that shoe on well let's figure it out here okay it's very simple okay everybody say share Share. tell people oh I'm sorry I didn't set that up well you guys really went for that all right because you guys are my best repeating service, by the way, okay? So I didn't want you to repeat that next part, but but if you want, we just repeat the whole rest of the sermon. We'll just, no, I'm kidding. I'm sorry. I didn't tell you not to to repeat that next part, but all right. So everybody say share. Okay. Now don't say anything else. No. All right. Tell, speak, demonstrate, love, serve people in such a way. Okay. So share. Okay. Everybody say good news. Go ahead. Say good news. All right. It's not bad news, everybody. It's not mediocre news. It's not okay news, guys. We have good news. Often, I'm guilty of this. Don't we act like it's bad news in the way that we share it, right? Like, think about it. I think we, we we shrink back like from this bad news. Like, we don't do this in any other area of life, by the way. You know, like you don't go as you're expecting a child, right, to your parents and your your siblings. You're like, guys, as you know, um, we we're pregnant and. Um, We wanted to kind of let you know if it's a boy or a girl, like, but that's no, no pressure. Like, like it's, it's, it's okay. Like if you, if you're busy, like, I know life's a little crazy right now. Like maybe we could set something up. Like, like that's not what we do. Right? Like we're like balloons coming out, like confetti cannons with the right color. Like I've seen hitting a golf ball that explodes into pink or blue, a baseball that explodes. like it's good news, everybody. Right? And so he says, Share. The good news, and then he says, of God's grace. Everybody say God's grace. grace. So there's this God, this gracious, loving God who died and rose back from the dead, and he wants us to share through our life, through the way we love, through words, through actions. He wants us to share this good news because it is good news of his grace. That is the bullseye of our lives, everybody. And it's something I'm really challenged as we've gone through this series on Acts, that I need to do more. And you know what? Sometimes it's going to cost us. And we're going to talk a little bit more as we continue on in this series about how to do this effectively. Next Sunday, we're going to get into it because that's where the verses take us. But I know some of you guys are thinking the same things I think. But, Doug, I've got like a job. I've got kids. I've got a mortgage. I've got stuff to do. I'm busy. And I just want to let you know that in all of those scenarios, two things are true. In everything I just said, your school, your work, your neighborhood, your home. There's two things that are true. Number one, there are people who need to hear that there's good news. Everywhere we go, the grocery store, I'll tell you next Sunday, I think, I think it is a story about a a good fail I had at the grocery store lately, wimping out, sharing my faith like I knew God wanted me to. I'll tell you next week about that one. And the second thing is ways that you can share it. So in every place you go, there are people who need to hear it. And there are people, and, there, and then there are ways that you can show it again through the way that you speak, through the way that you love, through the way that you serve. Um, I think sometimes, as, a, as, as like the big, the big C church, like the church around the world, I think we think too long. We, I'm just going to show them through my actions. I think that's important, but we got to get to the message, right? We got to get to the good news. It's kind of like having the baby reveal gender party, and you have the box there and the golf balls inside, and you're but you never swing at it, right? Like it's all set up, but but I got to speak it, right? I got to talk about my faith. I got to talk about this good news. So I do think loving and serving and all those are important, but at the end of the day, we got to get to the message. It's the bullseye of our lives. And so we've seen today, Jesus wants a relationship. He wants to know us and us him. We've seen today that there might be some confession and repentance we need to be doing in our lives. We've seen today that there's this amazing Savior that wants us to share the good news of His grace. And let's run through question four. Acts uh, 20 25 to 27, Paul tells them He's leaving and uh, He will never see them again, yet He boldly goes ahead. And then we get to question four. What's the responsibility of the church leaders? Now here at Living Word, and again, this is just a shoe I'll throw out into the crowd, we've got what we call pastor elders. So every pastor on staff is also an elder. Then we have elders who are not pastors, but they're people who are out in the workplace, the business, and they're a part of doing uh, the awesome caring for the church. The word elder is actually borrowed from Judaism, and it actually emphasizes the character of somebody. The character. So the word elder really is to be describing of the character of a person in leadership, okay? Underneath the elders, we've got ministry team leaders, we've got small group leaders, we've got one-on-one disciples, and we've got a ton of team members in our church family, right? And so to our pastors and elders and our future pastors and elders, because we always want to be training up people, and to the rest of us as a church, because these are important things for us all to have our eyes on, let's just fly through this real quick. Verse 28, keep watch over yourselves. This is what he says to the elders and to the elder pastors here. Keep watch over yourselves and the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Watch out for yourself. Ready to say yourself. That's really important. That's really important. For those of us in the room, the first place we look is watching out for ourselves. and Not in a selfish way, but but in the way of like, I got to make sure my relationship with God is up to date. You know, a little side note, when you find Joseph in the prison cell, Paul in the prison cell... David on the backside of a, of, of a desert guarding sheep. Do you know what you find with all of them? That even though they're in horrific circumstances, their relationship with God is up to date. And I got to make sure. I'm going to watch myself first. Because when I don't watch me first, that's when scandal happens in church. That's why there are stupid documentaries about all these dumb churches that have fallen apart. And I'm not calling them dumb. I'm just frustrated, right? I'm frustrated because we got to stop seeing this, right? And it's when leaders stop being accountable right? It's when leaders think they're above the law. It's when me and our pastors and our elders stop worrying about holiness and the things God's called us to do and be. And and we're not perfect, and I'm candid with you, you know, every Sunday about that. But there's got to be a continued, you know, eyes on Jesus. And Lord, I'll make my heart right and search my heart and just know me, Lord. Show me any wrong way, right? And so that's where it starts. Pastors and elders really just being in that place where we can honor the Lord. And then the next part is watch out for the people, right? So the elders and leaders in the church, we got to watch out for the people. And I, again, I would just invite our church family. It's at a different level for our elders and pastors, but as a church family, I think this is how we live church out. Right? We watch ourselves and our own walk with God and we watch out for each other and not like in a bad way with like, you know, a little notepad like I'm watching you, Craig. I hope you didn't mess up this week, right? Like, but watching out like like Craig, how are you doing, man? Hope you're doing well. How can I pray for you, Craig? dude, are you all right, man? You seem down lately. He doesn't really, but uh, Craig, right? Like we're there for each other. And and Craig, uh, just be careful. Guard your heart. You know, don't get deceived, right? Like that we're there watching out for each other. And overseers is this word that describes the responsibility elder. So, So elder is about character. Overseer is about the responsibility. And then it says this, be shepherds. Everybody say shepherds. Of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. What does that mean? It means that we've got to care for the people. We've got to protect the people. We've got to lead the people and feed the people, right? That's our job. That's our role. And Jesus made this whole church experience a thing. And it cost him his own blood. And so this is really important. And then the last verses we're going to see are right here. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. We have to be so careful because sometimes even among us, some people will kind of start to say things that are gonna pull people away from Jesus and we've gotta be shepherds and protect the flock. So what's the responsibility of the church leaders? Watch out for ourselves and watch out for the people. Let me just summarize the end of this. Paul encourages some people with some final thoughts. He prays with them, he weeps because he knows he'll never see them again and then he gets on a ship and leaves. And that's the end of chapters 19 and 20. So real quick, what we see today, do you know Jesus or do you just know his name? Know him. Know the person. Whether you came in today not knowing him at all or you came in knowing him, know him. Know him in a new way for those who didn't, but know him deeper for those of us who did. If you don't know what it looks like to know Jesus, we're here to walk with you through that what it looks like to help you understand how to read the Bible and pray and have conversation with God. Number two, what are some keys to break the power of sin struggles in our lives? Confess to the Lord, confess to one another, repent, turn our minds, change our minds, turn things. Sometimes we gotta burn the scrolls, everybody. Are there any scrolls we need to burn in our lives? Question three, what should be my personal, excuse me, personal mission statement? Share the good news of God's grace. That's what we're aiming at. I promise you something. I promise myself the same thing. When we stand before God one day, we're not going to be like, if I'd only had a few hundred more followers on social media, right? If I'd only been a part of a few more bowling leagues, you know? If only I'd been more successful in business, you know what we will say? If only I would led those few followers I did have to Jesus, if only in those bowling leagues I'd rallied around my friends and believed that God could do something special on a Tuesday night in a bowling alley with a bunch of guys probably should be doing other things maybe with their time weekly. right? If only in business I hadn't just been about the bottom line in black or red. But man, if I had had boldness to share my faith, right? Man, how important and how Powerful. That's the bullseye of our lives, Church. I'm just saying it because I, I need to hear this too. Again, I'll tell you about my fail next week when I should have been bolder and shop right last week. But man, we've got to grow in this, and, and, and I'm ready to go. I'm ready to learn and grow in this. But we've got to get to the message. Share, share the gospel of, of, of God's good news and grace. And what's the responsibility for the leaders? Watch out for ourselves. Watch out for the people. Care, protect, feed, and lead. The story continues next week. If we take this seriously today, look at how beautiful this, this is. We'll be people who truly know Jesus. We'll be people who use the keys of confessing to one another and to God and repentance to break the power of sin in our lives. We will share the good news of God's grace and we will be leaders and train leaders who have strong character, oversee, and shepherd the people. I hope you put on the shoe that fits for you today. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we're so glad you're here today. And I want you to leave today knowing him. And so I'd love for you to pray with me in just a minute, if that's where you are in life. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the scriptures. And we come to you and we just pray. I encourage you guys. Keep, keep my, my voice in your head for another 48 seconds while we just pray together here, okay? Don't tune me out yet. God, for those of us who don't know you, God, we're gonna take a moment. And just give people an opportunity to look to you. If you're here today and you don't know this risen Savior, this one who died for you and loves you and has great power and wants you to know him and be with him forever, then I'd love for you to pray with me now. You could just pray something like this. Jesus, today I ask you to be my personal Savior. I want to know you and I want you to know me. Forgive me for my sin. Thank you that, Jesus, you came to die for me and you rose back from the dead to be my personal savior, and that I get to call you God, but also friend. So fill me with your spirit. draw me close to you. Thank you, God. For those of us today who came in knowing Jesus, man, that we would take a step further and know him even more. That we would maybe pray together, God, I want to know you more. I want to know you better. I want to be closer to you and nearer to you. I'm not satisfied where I am. I want to go further in my relationship with you. Maybe here today, some of us are saying, man, I just want this power of sin to be broken in my life. Maybe right now is the time to start with confessing to God. God, I confess to you the things I've been doing. Go ahead, you fill in your blank, just quietly, silently to him. Here are some of the the scrolls I know I need to burn, God. Maybe we need to pray, God, give me the boldness to share with a friend who loves me and loves you. God, help me to just turn, change my mind about the direction I've been going. God, I pray for all of us that we will share our faith. We will share the good news of God's grace. So simple. Help us. Give us boldness. Help it to not be about us. Help it not to be about our own, well, I don't know. I don't want to be disliked. I don't want to be made fun of. I don't want to be ridiculed. I don't want it to cost me. God, we would just push, push past all that, Lord, and just be what you want us to be. And God, I just pray that we'll be a church of leaders who humbly serve and protect and lead and feed and care for. I pray that you will keep our church free of scandal, free of anybody in leadership, God, who is not doing it for the right reason. I pray that we'll train up future leaders and pastors and elders, and I pray over all of our team leaders and disciples and community group leaders and team members and just our church family, God, that we would be watching out for ourselves and watching out for each other. So we need you, God. We love you in your name. Amen.